0: Welcome back to this week's episode of the Cogar Center Arts Roundup podcast. Welcome to the Cogar Center Arts Roundup podcast. Our special guest this week is Joelle Ryan-Cook, the Deputy Director for the Columbia Museum of Arts. Joelle, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Nate, thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Can you start by talking about the mission statement of the museum and give us a brief history for those people who don't know that much about the museum already?
1: Okay, well, we are a 1950 is when we opened the Columbia Museum of Art in Columbia, and we've been here on Main Street since 1998 and recently went through a renovation where we have updated those spaces and expanded them um, that we finished in 2019. Um, The mission of the museum is to celebrate outstanding artistic creativity through its collections, exhibitions, and programs, interacting in ways that engage the mind and enrich the spirit.
0: So currently the museum is closed, like many of us, during this COVID-19 closures, but you've been very proactive in having a museum from home page with lots of interactive activities and a lot of things for people to do on their own from home. Can you tell people about how that came to be and what they can do to interact with the museum and still be a part of that mission, even though the building isn't quite open yet?
1: Right, well, um, you know, definitely we are a physical experience organization in that we've got you know 26 galleries of exploration space Um, we have had we have been well known for many many programs that we do um, with many partners um, lots of ways to interact Um, but when you take our mission and you really think about engaging the mind and enriching the spirit through the arts um, it is easy to see where in the 21st century, the virtual world has its place for that as well. And so for us, we took everything that we do um, here at the museum, starting on March 17th, our first day that we worked from home and took a very innovative and creative agile approach with our staff to go how do we get content online so that people can still enjoy what they need right now and the arts are that place where all of us started leaning right away we all went home and we all had worry but we started reading books and listening to music and exploring art and reading articles and doing podcasts and listening to podcasts and such so um, because we had had a couple of initiatives already in place um meaning that we have some multimedia experiences here at the museum that have been part of us since 2012 to be honest um and lots of social media platforms a lot of video on our website it actually wasn't that hard to pivot into instead of that being um, complimentary material that could tell a story about the museum or the exhibitions or the collections here that it became the primary source of inspiration and engagement. Um, so we were lucky that we didn't have to start from the ground up to do that. What we did have to do was think about, okay, on our website, where is that place where you could click into the one place and find all the content instead of it being, um, part of an exhibition page or a collections page or a different part of the website. So then we created in that first week, we launched, well, I guess got all of the, the components together and then launched, um, the following week what is called museum from home. And on that page, Um, you are, it is right there on the home page. It is the second thing that really kind of comes up. You can click into that and you can find quite a few different topics that we have been developing over the, um, I guess, what are we now? Week 12 (laughs) of, of the pandemic. So we were really able to take content that we already had and deliver it in a new way, and then also develop new content on new platforms and then use the Museum from Home space as that gathering spot where you can fall into many, many different things.
0: It, a lot of what I see on the page um, is a mixture of uh, art, but also a lot of activities and it, many, much of it is geared towards, I would say, like educational experiences, Um, Being the parent of a uh, elementary school student, it's been, you know, a a great resource, be able to sort of go to the Columbia Museum of Art website to look at things. Um, How do you marry your educational outreach with the inspiration of the artwork itself? Does that make sense?
1: Yes, well, you know, honestly, when we went through the renovations here at the museum, which we really started in earnest with boots on the ground in 2018, and spent about 18 months physically changing the space. In preparation for that and all through that period, we also wanted to develop really what I call the philosophical underpinnings of what we do to engage audiences and to enhance learning. And we developed what we call the three C's. And the three C's are this idea that if somebody comes to the museum or even virtually, that they're gonna be able to do one or all of three things. They're gonna be able to contemplate, connect, or create. And all of our activities in the building keep that in mind. And in fact, those three C's you will see, you see throughout the building and you can find them on the website as well that show you what we're trying to do here. So for example, those three C's that contemplate, connect, create, is something we can do with teachers and their students. It is something we can do with the individual who lands just to explore an exhibition by themselves. And that person may be somebody who wants to read every word in a catalog or on a label. Or maybe they wanna you know, explore something that's a little more creative and make something or land in a studio class. So what we wanted to do for Museum From Home was to keep those three C's intact, and to to say what are what is all the information we have and can develop that allows one or all of those three c's to work for people and what it lands in is that we have very different participants at the museum there is not one kind of museum visitor there are very hands-on museum visitors there are museum visitors who read there are museum visitors who are social And somebody might be all of those things. So what you have to think about is how people participate in museums, how they get information and how they're inspired by information and to deliver those in different ways that can recognize all of that diversity of learning and engagement. And so Museum From Home does that. So you've got some places where it's like, how is this done at the museum? Those are some of our most popular videos are like, how does something get framed? How do you restore a frame? Um, Or it may be, what is something that I can make? And so it might be the splatter painting. um, And it's something that an adult can enjoy or an adult can enjoy with their young child um, or that people can do together. The social side, you'll see that we've got... um, Uh, archive videos of live streams that we did where we showed a film and had a live performance of music and people were able to comment in the thread on that live stream. So we were able to have a little bit of the social sphere um, outside of the museum building in that live streaming event. So again, it's like, how, how can you really meet people where they are and what interests them and we do that inside of the building and then we had to translate that into the museum from home page
0: and you've announced that the museum will be reopening on the 16th of june Mm -hmm. but all of this museum from home experience is going to continue forward is that correct
1: Absolutely. Um, We recognize that there are going to be visitors who either are the vulnerable population, who just have maybe anxieties about getting out and want to um, still stay at home, Um, or there may be people that pre-COVID couldn't land at the museum as often as they want, but they missed some of our on-site programs that happened at a specific date and specific time. So the silver lining of this pandemic period is for us, uh, is where we have landed in knowing that we wanted to deliver more virtual content. It made us have to do it. It made us come up with a process and and way of delivering and a way of messaging it and a way of getting it out. And there's a lot of value in that. So we're going to keep it alive. We may, you know, keep the name Museum from Home, or we may change the name, but we will always have a central, like clearinghouse or area where we hold everything together so that you can explore. So with upcoming exhibitions that you can visit live here at the museum, there will be components that are multimedia and that um, can be done in the virtual world and we will keep that going all summer long and beyond.
0: How are you working with colleagues and partners during this time of closure to prepare for the reopening What kind of conversations are you having with others to learn from each other in order to try to move forward in this new world? You know
1: partnership and colleagues in town that's some of the stuff that happens behind the scenes or even sometimes it's obvious but we all work together really well and when you're in a moment like the pandemic you really need that comfort of the diversity of brains that we have in people in our industry and um, in our communities so it was almost immediate that everybody was reaching out to each other. And so I think about it in two ways. There's the, what do we do to handle what we have to do during this pandemic or during the closure period? And then what do we do to reopen and to reopen in a way where people who engage in arts and culture in Columbia can understand sort of almost a collaborative and, solidarity approach to that opening and then there's the next thing is then what do we do to hold each other up um, and lift each other up to keep the arts and culture sector of columbia and the midlands very vibrant Um, so there's those different kinds of components Um, we have been weekly on calls with our colleagues and other museums and cultural organizations to talk about how we manage um, being safe for our staff first, and then how we manage opening up to the public, which is a different phase of your engagement, um, and how you do that through HR laws, and how you do that through cleaning practices, and how you change your physical space, how you limit the numbers of people who can engage in a program. Can you even gather yet and have what we call a program? Um, so everybody's on the same page, um, and working together because none of us have done this together. So when you have, um, the executive directors of the library and the state museum and adventure and riverbank zoo and, um, the South Carolina Philharmonic and, uh, you know, all of our partners together talking this through and trying to develop best practices in place in the moment is really where we're landing. And then every one of us is looking at all of the government, local and state directives, all the guidelines for safety um, that are coming, you know, out of science-based organizations, and then just trying to have a one what as much as we can a cohesive approach and then once you land within individual organizations there may be some individual approaches But that the basic approaches stay very very much the same.
0: So what can people expect with the reopening? Can you share a little bit about what will look different? Um, Let people know what you've put into place to make sure that this is Uh, not only an enjoyable experience as it always is to go to the museum, but also a safe one.
1: Right. So really what it is, it's about a phased opening. And that's where today is literally the beginning of the phased opening we're doing here at the museum. And the first phase is an internal phase. So I am talking to you from my office for the first day that I have done since March 17th as a full day in my office. And so that first phase was, um, a and B teams, so who's coming in Monday, Wednesday, through Friday, who's coming, um, and who's coming in on Tuesday and Thursday so that we can have half our teams here at once and we get used to each other and how we clean the spaces. So we're filing all the CDC guidelines on how to clean our spaces, have been doing that for weeks because we've had essential personnel in the, uh, in the building for safety and for um, monitoring of systems and things like that, but um, full staff coming back what we learn coming back together in this um, kind of AB team week. Next week will be the first week that the full staff works together um, in the space. And um, we're doing all of our social distancing and cleaning practices just for the staff alone. Then that will translate into the opening week, the following week. So on June uh, June 15th, we will open, when we are just about to announce this, we will open for, um, members only on that day. And then on June 16th, we will open for members and the general public. So what will look different? It will not be a program space. it'll be your basic visitation to the gallery space. So we are used to be that you could just um, come straight into the museum at any point in the day and get an admission ticket or show your membership and come in. We are going to do timed tickets. Um, we're going to try to announce everything about the processes um, by Friday on our website. That's going to have a lot of, but it'll be time tickets. So it'll be a limited number of people at about 20% of our capacity that can be in our galleries in the collection. We don't have special exhibitions open. So right now we have almost 12,000 square feet of gallery space available for people to visit in that begin, that first period in June. Um, So we're going to be at about 20% capacity, we're going to sell tickets for members and non-members online, that's going to be limited capacity. So every hour we know how many people are in here in, in the building and we're placing capacity signage at each individual gallery space. And then our gallery attendants who will help visitors understand how to navigate the space will be there and available. Um, So that is one of the big things that's gonna be very different. You know, We're not gonna have 500 people in the space at once. We're gonna be at 20% capacity. Um, And then the other thing is we are requiring face masks. We would rather err on the side of caution with that for the safety of our staff, and the safety of our visitors. So that, we keep using the phrase that we're looking forward to seeing everyone's smiling eyes when it comes to this. So um, we wanted to go very big with our safety measures and our cleaning measures, because you can start very big and then dial back, as science and directives are telling us that we can dial back. And we will make some of those decisions when the time is right, and we can't predict what those are now, but we wanna go big um, in terms of capacities, safety, cleanliness, and transmission mitigation by bringing those face masks into play. Um, You'll see hand sanitizer everywhere. You'll see cleaning stations. You'll You'll see X's on the ground. You'll see those capacities in the gallery. And that's different.
0: I've heard that some museums are talking about potentially taking um, text off the walls uh, and things like that so that people don't congregate. Will we see uh, like anything different like that? Uh,
1: You you know, um, we're not gonna do that. What we're gonna do is limit the gallery, individual gallery spaces and capacities. So, in all seriousness, we're starting out. Um, we'll have uh, 20 galleries upstairs open, and the larger galleries we're going to allow six people in at once. Um, and what we have learned from um, our zoo colleagues who are already opened, um, and through other colleagues, is and we've learned this in grocery stores. People are pretty good at self-monitoring, um, and so what we think is that we'll be able to monitor through our gallery attendance and our, you know, teams on the ground, but that people are going to be pretty good about going, okay, those two people are reading that text panel. So we'll wait a moment for them to move on. And if not, we'll gently remind people that that's maybe the way to do it. Um, But I realized as I was walking the galleries last week to plan for this with our teams, that we actually, do better when people have more choices when they land in a room. So instead of blocking off a gallery with four doors, blocking off two of those, we're going to make sure every door is open so they can make the choice based on capacities and the way they can flow. Um, And because we're going to have such limited capacities of numbers of people we're going to allow in per hour, we think at the beginning that people are going to be pretty good about this, you know, and we don't want it to be confusing we, we realized that the more rules you put into the place, the harder it is to follow. So we wanted to lean into how people, exp- what we know about how people explore art museums and then build upon that so that their experience is good as well.
0: You said that the special exhibitions won't be open when you open in the, in the beginning. Um, when do we expect some of those special exhibitions to open, and can you tell us what to expect when they do? Okay, so
1: our special exhibition galleries are down on the first floor. The collection galleries, the 20 of those are on our second floor, so we will have those galleries, those collection galleries, open from June 15th through June 25th, and then on June 26th, we will have a special opening day for the Black is Beautiful the Photography of Kwame Braithwaite Exhibition. And that will take up four of the very large galleries on the first floor. Um, We are very excited about this exhibition because it's gorgeous. It's very much um, an exhibition about the moment we're in right now, but that moment that was part of the civil rights era where we're celebrating black communities and social justice. So it's very timely at the moment. Moment. Uh, those galleries are about thousand square feet, so that allows us to up our capacity a little bit to have um, people experience that space as well as the upstairs space. So we will have learned things for two weeks before we open this show and we will see how our flow is going and how our safety is going and how Um, We can up that capacity, but we will also monitor the number of people in those galleries. So we're creating space where people can um, be distant from each other as they might have to wait in line for a group to leave and then a group to be entered into the galleries. Our exhibition space, in terms of the special exhibitions on the first floor, is usually our busiest space. Um, So we will have to be very careful with monitoring that. Um, The other thing that we're doing is we're leaning into what we're calling, um, you have to decide, make decisions about groups. So we're not doing gathering up public group tours right now, which has been a long tradition in museums, but we do want people who are with their group to be able to be together. So groups of eight or um, less can be what we're kind of calling the quarantine. So who is it that you have chosen is your team that you might explore the museum together. So that might be just you by yourself, or it might be you and a spouse or you and a best friend, but we don't want to, we want people to be able to be in their comfort zones on how they're deciding the way that they're going to be with certain people during their their pandemic period here. So, um, so that's some of the language that we're starting to work out is who is your quarantine? So for example, we have one elevator that goes up to the top four, um, visitors. So we're going to say one quarantine at a time, as opposed to two people at a time, you know? So we're learning. <laughs>
0: That makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. Uh, What else do you have reopening? I've seen that the, some of the summer camps are back on. Can you talk about any of the other uh, activities that people can participate in as a part of the museum that will be happening this summer?
1: Yeah. So, you know, as an educational institution at our core, um, we really wanted to be sure that we could still present a summer program but we had to make a lot of changes to that for obvious reasons we want our staff to be safe we want um, families to be safe so what we decided to do is that we felt like June was too soon to open that's usually when we would start hosting summer camp so we moved um, all of the June camps out of the June period and have rescheduled them in July and August where we could Um, And then the other, so we'll be opening our first camps the week of, what is that, July 6th, I suppose. Um, And then we have reduced the capacities to at least 50% of those spaces. So luckily for us in our renovations, we redid some of our studio spaces and added an additional studio space. So for the most part, we're designing it so that each child can have their own workspace on a single table. Um, and they will have their supply kit and they will have their cleaning kit and they'll be able to work in that space. Um, one of the things that absolutely breaks our hearts that we decided to do is that, and it's for the most loving reason in the world is we decided that we were not going to host this year, the four to six year old camps. And what I mean by the most loving reason is that those are the kids that make a best friend within an hour of the first day of camp and then they just love each other and they hug and they if you're doing a good job as a teacher they hug you you know um and we just felt like that's the um age group that's a little harder to control that kind of physical distancing um and so it breaks our heart to not host it, but we felt like we wanted to keep families and children and staff as safe as possible. So the camps are for seven year olds up through our teen workshops. Um, And that's another one of those changes and I am hoping next summer, that is not the story that we tell. Um, So Museum From Home, for example, is going to be really important for us to keep getting activities up that can help inspire during those hot summer months when people seem like they're hermetically sealed in their houses to give those four-year-old through six-year-old kind of activities some options for families there, which we can continue on Museum From Home.
0: I'm excited to hear that the Museum From Home is hopefully becoming an ongoing thing that we can all enjoy in the future. Is there anything else you would like people to know about coming back to the museum? Uh, Programs, like I
1: said, we are deeply programmatically driven here at the museum and that is something that's gonna be slow to come back. So that gathering up in spaces, I think it'll, we are hopeful that this late summer we'll see some elements of that. Um, where we can kind of really control the ticket, the ticket um, numbers of tickets sold and how those programs are set up. So we've long had lectures and, um, you know, art history conversations. That might be something that we can do in the space with chairs separated out or people choosing their quarantines together. Um, With very reduced capacities, we luckily have some pretty big presentation spaces. Um, And then the added benefit of going back to that museum from home, we can live stream that and then archive that live stream. So if there were only, you know, in a 4,000 square or like maybe a 3,000 square foot space where we could present something, if there were only, um, you know, I don't know, 70 people in the room, Um, we could still reach many, many more people through those lectures, through that live streaming. So that would be an example of how Museum from Home and Museum in the Physical Space could come together. Then summer camp will be the first programs that we do. And, you know, you're seriously talking about an instructor and eight students for something like that. That's deeply controlled. But something like our very kind of well-loved arts and drafts program, which is a big social party atmosphere where the arts is the core of it and you get to get a craft beer. You know, that's upwards of 1,300, 1,400 people. And that one we are kicking down the calendar to twenty twenty one because those are, that's probably the last kind of program we can bring brac to the museum um, and that's one of our most deeply partnership based types of programs we at any arts and drafts may have six or seven different partners who work with us on that and then we've invited a lot of live musicians to perform so that one's a little heartbreaking, but we'd rather that come back in a way that feels comfortable and safe for everybody. So that one, I would look to 2021 for something big like that.
0: You've got Boyd Plaza, which is a fantastic space and outdoor, which is uh, we're all yep. here, a safer way to congregate. Um, do you have any plans to host um, sort of smaller gatherings in that outdoor space? I know summer is hard because it gets hot so fast. It but. gets
1: so hot. Yes, yeah, so luckily we, that, Due to the generosity of the Boyd Foundation, that space was completely renovated, um, reopened in March of 2019, so just over a year ago, and there's a lot of shade in that space now. And we have lots of tables and chairs where we can really spread out. I mean, it's big. Um, We have a covered pavilion with ceiling fans. (laughs) So that definitely helps us out. And you're exactly right. So when we can open Boyd Plaza to the general public is still, we're not sure yet. That's sort of under some of the local um, directives on how we can have gathering and spaces. And that is what I would call a very equipment heavy space. It's not a playground but it's a lot of tables and chairs. I mean, you go to that space not to power walk, but you go to that space to sit and have, you know, bring your lunch and, or have a meeting with people and, and socialize. So that requires a lot of cleaning and a lot of self-management. So we're not quite there at the opening of that yet. Um, but you're right. It's a perfect space for dipping our toes back into social gathering. So I am in contact with a good number of our community partners right now To see where we can get some of those elements of arts and drafts that we love, where we can maybe have some live music performance, maybe have some craft beer and some food trucks. But what we can do is sell a limited number of tickets to something like that. We are only in the conversations. We're not sure when we can do that. And it may be that instead of it being 1,500 people, we can sell specific tickets to maybe 25 people at the very first one it could be 25 people for a two-hour slot, and then another 25 people for a second two-hour slot, and you maybe only have 50 people, but we're di- we could dip our toe in. Um, we want everyone to feel safe. We want our partners to be safe, um, but that is an option. And so one of the things that we can do too is work with our community colleagues to help make that a vibrant program, and maybe that scales up. Maybe. In midsummer, we have a couple of those small ones, and then it moves up to seventy-five people.
0: So I'm excited that Black and Beautiful is coming to the Columbia Museum of Art. Um, is it opening uh, on time, or did we did we get lucky that it just so happens that it falls into place like this, or did you have to postpone the opening of this exhibit?
1: You know what? Um, we are lucky to say that the opening of this exhibit actually is on time and that things have uh, evolved here in our state and in our community to allow us to open it on time so we are very thankful for that because in this whole period this has been the thing that's inspired our staff all along was to get to this point to do this um, really beautiful show this summer for our communities so we were lucky that we didn't have to move it
0: how, how long in advance do you plan something like this? So you must have known what the opening date for this was for quite some time.
1: Exactly. So in the art museum world, in our world, um, most of our shows are planned a minimum of two years out, if not three. So we selected this show probably in either very early 2018, maybe even 2017.
0: And was this an exhibit that was already put together and touring, so to speak? Or did you all have a hand in pulling together the individual pieces that are going to come and be shown at the museum?
1: Exactly. So, there are two ways that we do museum exhibits here. So, there is the um, package show that another museum, a traveling exhibition group, or um, another cultural organization of sorts would pull together, and then we would kind of um talk to them and essentially lease the show um after we decided that that show is an important kind of show for our community we always want to think about who is who are the midlands communities who are the south carolina communities and even sort of what can we do within the um, southeast um and look and see if that's the right show for us and if it is what the um how would you call it, the flexibility for us to customize that show a little bit to really meet our needs here because we want to, we want to serve our communities. Um, The other way you do that uh, show is you use something from your collection or you work with people to create an exhibition. Our Van Gogh exhibition that we had that closed early this year was an example of that. Those works came from all over the country and we worked on that show for three years, and we designed that show, um, that's the other way. But this one, Black is Beautiful, is the first um, ever dedicated to Kwame Braithwaite's career, where he was really known in the late 50s and the early 60s and moving into the 70s um, for his career. And then that one has been organized by Aperture New York and by his son Kwame S. Braithwaite. And we signed on early to bring that show here. It just closed at the Museum of the African Diaspora in San Francisco. So it's closed up there and then heading to us. Um, So we are the only place in the Southeast that's showing this exhibition. And that was imp- that's important too. You be, we don't want to show the exact same thing that the Mint up the road in Charlotte is showing. So you want to, you, we want some tourism. We want to be able to bring something unique to our area. And we are lucky at the museum, our area has grown to serve more than just Columbia, South Carolina. We have a really good four hour drive time of people coming to visit us.
0: And the exhibit will be up through September 6th. Is that- a typical length of time for an exhibit like this to be up in the museum? How how long do these special exhibits typically stand?
1: Yeah, our special exhibits generally run, they're usually more of the 12 to 13 week is pretty typical for us because if you change out exhibits, often you give people a lot of opportunities to experience art from around the country and the world um, often. You know, um, this one is right in line with that. The longer exhibitions that we do, usually top out at about 16 weeks. So, you know, they're, I mean, those are pretty short runs in a lot of ways. So this one is really taking most of that summer period um, and really celebrating summer for the museum.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to talk to us about the museum. We're all so excited that the museum will be reopening. We've been enjoying it online. Is there anything else you'd like to share that's going to be different that people can participate in when visiting the museum?
1: Well, I just want everyone to know that the museum team is working really hard to make sure that we put all of the safety measures in, that we put the, the, the safety of our staff and our visitors, um, at the top of mind, and it will be obvious when you land here. Um, you can land on our webpage, uh, or you'll see right on our homepage how to understand how we're serving audiences in this new period um, by by Friday, June fifth, um, and after that. And um, I love what we've been doing on Museum From Home. We have a creative team um, here at the museum and our partners who have contributed to that have been wonderful. So um, I really invite in your free time, uh, look for some inspiration and some exploration there um, on Museum From Home and keep that going for a good long time.
0: Well, thank you so much. Our guest today on the Coker Center Arts Roundup has been Joelle Ryan Cook, the Deputy Director for the Columbia Museum of Art. Because we've been talking about some time sensitive things, I'll just let everyone know we're recording this on Tuesday, June 2nd. Uh, This will come out before the museum reopens on the uh, 16th to the general public, uh, 15th to museum members. Uh, Thank you so much again for your time and for inspiring us all through this time of closure. And we're so excited to uh, learn from you all how the, Reopening to the public can happen uh, not only with other museums, but all sorts of cultural institutions across the Midlands.
1: Thank you so much, Nate. I'm as excited to be part of it, and I appreciate your support.
0: Thank you for joining us. Thank you. The Coker Center Arts Roundup is produced in part by Garnet Media Group, the student media partnership at the University of South Carolina. Information about tickets and upcoming events can be found at kogercenterforthearts.com, the official website for Cogar Center tickets. For more information about Garnet Media Group, visit GarnetMedia.org.